Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. On Florida's Space Coast, we think you can have the best of both worlds. Kind of like right now. Driving. At your desk. Maybe at the gym. But you're also grooving to some music. Visit us and you'll go to the beach and see a rocket launch or go kayaking and manatee spotting. It's all waiting for you on the only beach that doubles as a launch pad. Plan your adventure today at visitspacecoast.com. Hi, Paul Dennett here. Just letting you know that Cricket Unfiltered is now on Patreon. If you are a fan of our show and would like to support us with a few dollars each month, Go to patreon.com slash cricket unfiltered or click the link in the show notes on your podcast app. Men is here. Our Patreon supporters will also get some pretty cool bonus content. Paul will be doing a series of cricket history podcasts. And Menes will be doing long form interviews with leading cricket personalities. All of these shows, plus other bonus features, will be available exclusively to our Patreon supporters. The first bonus episodes are available now. Menes has just done a superb interview with a very candid Shane Watson. And Paul has put a history special together on how cricket was covered on Australian television before the World Series Cricket Revolution. So if you want some great extra content, or if you just love the show and would like to help support us financially, please go to patreon.com slash cricketunfiltered. Now, on with today's show. Hello everyone, welcome back to Cricket Unfiltered. I don't know if you heard the news, but Jaleesa Apps is not here because Channel 9 was reportedly hacked perhaps by Russian hackers trying to take the network down. So I'm a little bit nervous. I'm under the table here, Paul. <laughs> Do you think we're okay to go ahead with this podcast? Because I don't need Putin coming after us. Um, it's a scary times. What do you think? Are we going to be all right? I just want to say that I think that the um, Russia should have its own T20 tournament and I'd, I'd, all, I'd be all supportive of that. <laughs> <laughs> oh well, I'm gonna I'm gonna get out from under the table. But honestly, I'm scared. I don't want the KGB coming in here and shutting us down. <laughs> well, yeah, listeners, it's just Paul and I. Jaleesa had to do a, a whirlwind trip to Melbourne to keep 
Channel 9 afloat. Um, but we've got lots to cover in this episode if we don't get taken off air at the last minute by the Russians. Uh, we're going to wrap up all the cricket news. Then we're going to interview our good friend from CrickBuzz, Barrett Sandarason. He's got some fascinating insights into the England Tour of India and also the IPL. But, but let's start off with the return to action of the Australian women's cricket team. They took on New Zealand in a T20 international on Sunday and a fantastic match-winning performance by Ash Gardner. New Zealand was sent in and made six for 130. Jess Jonathan was the best of the bowlers, taking three for 26. Then in reply, Australia were really at three for 14. And then when Lanning got out, the score was four for 62 and still the run rate was climbing. But then Ash Gardner just peeled off 73 not out off just 48 balls, including three big sixes. And uh, Elise Perry batted at six, quite low for her, but she hit 23 not out of 16 balls. And Australia ended up winning with two overs to spare, but it was looking like it was going to be a really tight match. And, yeah, just impressed with Ash Gardner's power. She's a great player. Yeah, classy win by Australia. Uh, great to see Elise Perry back. Could have been different. There was a, a dropped catch um, at the start of that partnership that could have made things really interesting. Uh, but Australia, too good. They now get a chance to move into the 50-over format and to break a record that they have been tied with for a long period of time. Ricky Ponting's team in 2003 went 21 one-days in a row, winning all of them. Um, and this side has the chance to go to 22 when they play New Zealand. Now, the the difference, of course, is that with the scheduling, Ponting's team took five months to do it. Um, uh, this team has now been... It's going to be 41 months when they um, potentially will um, break the record. Now, if you do the maths, that means that had they played at the same regularity, they might be up to their 173rd consecutive win, um, which... That'll be some record. Yeah. <laughs> oh, well, um, that's fascinating viewing over the ditch. So tune in to the Australian tour of New Zealand. Great to have the Aussie women's team back in action. Now let's get into the headlines brought to you by Piccolo Podcasts and... India have swept England in all three formats. They won the Test Series, they won the T20 Series, and then they won the deciding one-day international. A terrific uh, performance by India. And, uh, you know, England fought back, I thought, in the 50-over game pretty well, but just in the end were outclassed. Yeah, I think that you'd look at that series and say, I don't think England lost any friends as far as predictions for the for the T20 World Cup goes. Yeah, they didn't win, but they showed enough to show that they, along with India, deserve to be right up there as the, the two most favoured sides. And the nature of, well, of T20 cricket means that any of the top few could win. But oh, I think that um, you certainly wouldn't want to be betting against England winning that T20 World Cup, in my opinion. We've seen a few controversial moments in the tour, a couple of them around the whole soft signal that we're getting in cricket where an umpire may give a catch out um, and then it goes upstairs and the umpire, say, doesn't overturn the decision because there's not enough evidence. Um, it just seems strange to me, Paul, that you've got umpires deciding on catches that may be 50, almost 100 metres away. Mm rather than the people that can zoom in close and get the best angle. So what happened was, way back, well, way back when, it wasn't that, that that many years ago, when they first started to look at catches like this with the cameras, there was this belief that genuine, legitimate catches were being overturned because when you slowed it down and zoomed it in, and there was that whole thing where they talk about the, the foreshortening of the, of the angle, that it would appear to have hit the grass 
when it actually hadn't. And so you'd have to sort of say, there's this feeling of, oh, if it gets referred upstairs, it's going to get overturned, yet we all know that that catch was actually taken. So the, the, the solution was, well, and the, I think they had in mind slipped catches where the, the, the umpire does have a feel for it. Like, yeah, I think that's pretty clean. So I'll give the soft signal as out. And that way then when they look and say, oh, there's a slight chance, not the soft signal is out, we'll continue with it being out. And everyone's happy that they could then still use the video technology because on the odd occasion, oh, geez, that's bounced 10 centimetres in front. It, stopped, it staves off a sort of a, an international incident. What wasn't foreseen was what's going to happen when the catch is taken 120 metres away from the umpire. So, I mean, if you get rid of the soft signal, the question is, do you then just reinvent that issue from 10 years ago or are we now confident that the cameras are so much better? Um, and we're probably a little bit more confident as well at uh, saying – even though he thinks he genuinely caught that, it did touch a blade of grass and we are going to give it not out. Where, where do you think that, that we, we lie in that situation? Yeah, my solution is just to go upstairs and not have a soft signal. I, I think that's let the, the third umpire rule on it. But will we, will we just have that same issue from 10 years ago re- revisited? Well, we're getting controversial issues now where there's doubt around them. So I, I don't – there's always going to be controversy. We've seen that with DRS. Some of the, the decisions are harder than you think. But I think the best solution is give it all to the third umpire. Maybe you could have a, a, a thing where the umpire it's him, he, himself or herself could actually say, I'm not giving a soft signal. Like they, they could choose. Like if it's a slips catch and they've said, I'm pretty sure he's caught that. Whereas if it's a catch on the boundary, they, then they say, no, we'll, 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 we'll send leave it, it totally to you. Yeah, who knows? I no. think that's the best way, especially with, with the outfield catches because it, it just doesn't seem right that uh, someone from so far away is trying to judge mm. it. Rishabh Punt's dismissal, uh, well, non-dismissal, was also something uh, in, in uh, a game a couple of days ago where big appeal for LBW, <laughs> he was given out um, and challenged it. And on review, it turns out he wasn't actually at LBW. <laughs> he hit the ball for four. Um, and this was fine. The decision was overturned and everything was correct. But the, the interesting point is that the four runs were, were not given. Uh, and it doesn't matter the fact that he'd hit it. It would have been equally valid if it had been, if it had been four leg buys. They wouldn't have been given either. And you sort of say this would be very, very unfortunate if the final ball of the world... To, this would happen to the Kiwis. Well, that's the thing. You could say, oh, it's never going to happen. And then every New Zealander would say, well... Yeah, it'll happen to the Kiwis. <laughs> exactly. It happened pretty... Uh, something even more implausible happened. So final ball of World Cup. Um, you know, Virat Kohli's on strike. India need uh, two to win. Clips his pad, goes down to fine leg for four. Umpire gives it out and he goes, oh, no, nah, you know... Reviews it, turns out that it was missing leg stump by a mile, but it still has to be a dot ball, uh, and that's a debacle. Uh, so I think I have a couple of solutions to that, Manners. Do you have any? Are you, are, you, are you happy with it as it is? No, I'm not happy with it the way it is. It's a very complicated situation, very hard to navigate. I think the only way you could really uh, solve it is to just replay the ball. That's not going to be an ideal solution either. I, my, my, my solution would be say that – uh, play it out. Like in the in the instance where, say, you, you know, you've been hit on the pad, you're scampering through for a leg by, uh, and that thing where the umpire's thinking about it raises his finger. You keep on. If you think that you're on it out, you keep on going. Ground your bat. The the, the fielding side know to sort of play on, um, and but, then. But the umpire has to be on board. The umpire can't give it out then, because if he gives it out, some fielder in the outfield, oh, he's out and he doesn't run after the ball. Well, there'll need to be a cultural change. Yeah. You, you, you're hinting at what my second solution was going to be, but the first solution would be, okay, guys, from now on, most LBWs won't be an issue. You know, plum LBW or not out, they're not looking for a single, it won't be a thing. But in the instance where 
there, there's something happening here. You've got to play it out um, and go that way. The alternative is you say to the umpire in those situations for the umpire to to wait and not give their decision until the ball is dead, and that's the um, the other way of doing. Yeah, it. I think it has to be the second. Wait till the ball's dead if you're going to try and solve it, or replay the ball if there's a stuff up because at least then the, the batter gets another chance. No, but that doesn't work if it's the World Cup final and, it's, and there's you know you only um, you're going to heavily disadvantage one side or the other. Yeah, like he, you could see what he's bowling, so therefore he has to... No, no, but I'm saying if um, if India, say, needed one to win and then there's a um, uh, the ball goes flying down to the boundary and they're, they've won the game, if the, if the next ball they then don't win as a result of uh, the change, they're going to be just as angry as if, if it didn't happen. Oh, yes, but it would be better than the situation you've outlined. Better than the current situation, yeah, you mean? Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Now, you've been doing some stat work, Paul, on uh, the upcoming T20 World Cup. Run our listeners through it. Get your, your pens and paper out. And those of you like to have a little cheeky tipple, this might be the... Tipple means drink, I think. Oh, cheeky bet. <laughs> um, no, I just I always think it's wager, interesting. Wager, cheeky wager. Uh, just to look at in, in advance of a tournament to take the betting odds, convert them to percentages and see what the market thinks. And... Um, if we look at going in reverse order for a bit of fun um, and to the nearest whole percentage, here are the percentage chances of each team in the upcoming World Cup of T20 cricket. Namibia, zero. Oman, zero. Scotland, zero. Netherlands, zero. Papua New Guinea, zero. Ireland, zero. Bangladesh, 2%. Afghanistan, 2%. Sri Lanka, 4%. South Africa, 6%. I'd venture to say that's one of the lowest percentage chances South Africa has ever had going into a World Cup. Maybe even too high. <laughs> well, well, when are they going to win a World Cup? Never. Um, West Indies, 9%. New Zealand, 9%. Pakistan, 9%. Australia, 14%. England, 17%. And India, 26%. Anything that strikes you there as jumping out of the page as unusual? Yes, Australia are way too highly fancied. I'd have Pakistan, New Zealand and the West Indies probably ahead of Australia in T20 cricket at the moment. Yeah, no, I, I, I think that maybe England are a bit lower than they should be at seventeen percent, uh, but I, I still think I'd, I'd probably still have Australia as third favourite, but not by a great deal. All right, so that'll be an interesting one to follow as we get closer and closer to the tournament. We see what players are in form. Last one, um, we were all very excited when A.B. de Villiers played in the Big Bash and the magnitude of that coup is put into a little bit of perspective by the fact that he is now going to be playing in this year's Nepal's Premier League T20 tournament. So tournament goes from the, 29th, the 25th of September to the 9th of October. One of the joys of Twitter has been discovering just how big cricket is in Nepal. It's not a, You don't think of it that often, but they are mad for it. So good on them. Great for them to get such a great signing, but it also shows that as far as the Big Bash is concerned, we really should be able to get some, some fantastic players down. But also this is a two-week tournament, so it's a much easier sell to somebody, isn't it? Come for two weeks, probably getting paid a fortune. I think if you can't sell someone coming to live in, um, you know, the eastern suburbs of Sydney or any of the franchises for for five or six weeks, the, you know, it's a pretty good place to be in in in, um, in January, Australia. Yeah. I think we should be a no arguments good sell. here. I'm going to be watching this Everest Premier League T20 if we can get it over here. All right, now the next cricket headlines. Congratulations to Queensland, who are Women's National Cricket League champions for the very first time. They had lost five final. Previously, they were able to beat Victoria um, on the weekend. Victoria sent Queensland in, and Queensland made a massive eight for three hundred and seventeen. 
Dr. Georgia Redmayne, just a lazy 134 not out, following on from 99 not out in the previous game. And in reply, Victoria were all out for 205. Grace Harris taking four for 35. Unfortunately, Elise Villani had a chance to break the all-time run scoring record for a WNCL season, but she made just 18 and fell 19 short of the all-time season runs. But congratulations to Queensland. Terrific effort. They lost a few players um, to the Australian tour, but still came up with the trophy. And Fred DeVal Show, Peter Lawler, um, with his Cricket Etc. podcast with Gideon Haig, interviewed uh, Georgia Redmayne about a week ago or 10 days ago. I listened to that, and uh, she's such a likeable and intelligent character. It's, um, it was great to, to then see her do so well in the final. And stay tuned for Mad Manners at the end of the show. I've got a few words about the Victorian um, situation down south. All right, now, staying with the domestic scene. Well, Paul, it, it, it's... Both competitions are very similar, the Marsh Sheffield Shield and the Marsh 50 over cut with basically Queensland and New South Wales up top, but in both comps they've got a resurgent West Australian team nipping at their heels and, and this week in Sydney, Queensland and New South Wales battling in both competitions and the loser of those games could find themselves out of those competitions. Really looking forward to these games. We're, we're going to be down um, in Wollongong calling the, the New South Wales-Queensland Shield game. It'll be my first ever time being at uh, North Dalton Park in Wollongong. Same. Looking forward to that. Yep, definitely agree with that one. I'm eyeing up my next Swans fixture to go to, Robert Fairhead. <laughs> one of our listeners has been helping me out with that. Definitely going to make it to the SCG soon for an AFL game. Yep, and th- look, the, the results this week... Um, Western Australia had a terrific win over Victoria, smashed them at uh, the Wacker. Centuries to some of my favourite players, uh, Josh Inglis and Joel Paris, 102 not out, and Cameron Bancroft, 113. But I just want to point out Joel Paris. He made his maiden first-class century, 102, took a five-wicket haul in the second in Victoria's second innings. And, you know, for a player that's battled injuries, he's, he's played for Australia. He's played one-day international cricket, but he's battled back and quad injuries, and it's been a really rough road for him. Great to see him get these rewards, and a century in a five-wicket haul in one game is pretty special. Absolutely. Another player to watch is Sam Whiteman, who made 13 and 104 in the game. That was his third Shield century of the summer. And he's got an interesting story as well. He started off as a wicketkeeper batsman and has given up the gloves and he's turned himself into an opener. And he's only been opening for the last two seasons, but um, three centuries in a Shield season is a great return. And I think he has potential to play for Australia if say Pekofsky's injured next summer or if Warner retires in the next couple of years, Whiteman is certainly a player to watch. He was mentioned briefly at the start of this summer as someone to be con- to, to be considered. File this next at, uh, uh, under the heading of I would love nothing more than in months to come or years to come you can retrieve this audio manners and, and make a mockery of me, but I can't see it happening. I mean, he's, um, he's 29 and he has an average of 35 in first-class cricket. And his recent Shield averages, um, 2016-17, he averaged 26. Didn't play the next season. Then 2018-19, averaged 43. Last season, he averaged 27. And this season, yeah, it's all great to say he scored three Shield centuries, but he's only averaging 37. That's very creditable. But to me, it's not knocking on the door of Australian selection. And if you're going to say that, oh, you've got to look at things in two categories and you've got to say look at him since he's dispensed with the gloves and become an opener, then I'd say, mate, that's crazy. 
Well, I'm not going to say that. Not and good. I'm not going to say he's like bashing down the door. But when I look at sort of the other options around to open the batting, not sold on Harris. Not They're not going to go back to Joe Burns. Pekofsky might be injured next summer. He's a There's question marks around him with um, coming back from the shoulder. You know, what are the options? Do we go back to Bancroft? No, you're... Your point is well made in the sense that they may well consider him. I'm saying that on those figures there, I think it would be a mistake if they considered him because, as always, I'm saying pick your best six and choose the two openers out of that. Don't don't just pick specialist openers. Don't feel like you have to just pick opening batsmen to open if you're then going to pick players who aren't as good as others. I'd you know Maxi, of course. <laughs> All right, that was a wrap of the domestic cricket um, for the last week. So as I said, Marsh Cup and Marsh Sheffield Shield are, are rocketing to a. A really um, interesting conclusion with three teams battling it out. And I actually got a feeling, I don't think New South Wales is going to win anything. Oh, that's a big call. Queensland peaking, Western Australia peaking, New South Wales about to lose um, you know, a lot of their players to the IPL. The only thing is for the Marsh Cup, their last game, just before they go to the IPL, Smith, Warner, Hazelwood, they're all going to be there in that final game. So that might sneak them a win, but yeah, I can't see them winning a final. Yeah, I, I see where you're coming from. I see where you're coming from. All right. Well, that's it for the cricket headlines. We're going to be back in a moment with Barrett Sunderason, and then we've got Can't Let It Go and an excerpt from Paul's history special. But before we get there, I want to thank Mitchell and Alexi for being our very first Patreon subscribers. Both of them signed up in the last week. So thank you very much, and we really appreciate it. And if uh, you want to support the show and you want to get our extra content, there's a link in our show notes. But thank you to Mitchell and Alexi. Indeed. Thank you. All right, after the break, Barrett Sunderison from Quick Buzz. Welcome back to Cricket Unfiltered. I'm Menas. I'm with Paul. Now we have joining us on the line is Barrett Sunderison, cricket writer for Quick Buzz and all-round good guy. Barrett, how are you? I'm doing absolutely fine. The weather's been fantastic here, unlike over in New South Wales and... Uh, like I was just telling you guys off air, I've, uh, I've been having first world problems trying to find a puppy preschool for uh, the little groodle we got home. <laughs> now, uh, we wanted to get you on. There's so much cricket news swirling around, especially in India at the moment with the series against England just concluding and, and now the IPL about to start. I guess broadly speaking, what are your thoughts on sort of England's performance in India over the last couple of months? Uh, yeah, I, I guess we'll have to break it down, man, as into like the what they did in the test and then the white ball stuff. I mean, they're just so good in white ball cricket, and uh, so they would be disappointed not uh, managing to win either the T20s or the one days because in both series they were great positions to win that, uh, go on and like win the series quite convincingly. But they, I think, let themselves down, but also not having the likes of Joe Root and Owen Morgan getting injured early. Uh, hampered them but as far as the tests go I think there was a lot of talk about pitches but uh, it just tells you that England are that kind of a team we've seen them on test tours in the past like where if they start playing uh, cricket in their mind like they did in Australia back when they faced Mitchell Johnson or like they did this time uh, when they when you start playing spin in your head you're not looking at the ball at all you're just like <laughs> reacting well. to things that are spinning around in your own head yeah um, so just sort of looking at the white ball stuff, I, I was amazed again at the depth of the Indian players now. I mean, we saw it on the tour of Australia and we saw it again against England. They're just plucking stars from everywhere. 
and you should as well right i mean we've always had strength in numbers as a country not just on the cricket field uh and a lot of people have looked at it i mean a lot of indians have looked at it as it being a disadvantage i mean just the population the number of people we have uh but when you look at it if if in nearly like you know 2 billion people you should have enough talented cricketers especially when cricket means so much to so many people and considering there are the grassroots system is so strong in india uh, it's just a question of um, i think shaking off the awe of international cricket which seems to be happening and that's why you see so many guys just jump on the scene and do remarkable things like we saw that in australia like you said now we've seen it against england uh, on home soil and it has a the ipl has a lot to do with it i think it's a changing um, culture of india i mean indians just are not overawed by anything and uh but you know i think it, i put it down to the ipl manners they just are not over out of playing at international level they used to rubbing shoulders with the who's who of cricket playing with them playing against them being in pressure situations with a lot of people watching them uh so when once once you get used to it i mean it's just another game of cricket so uh i think that has a lot to do with it but uh, yeah i mean it, it's scary the number of uh, talents we've seen emerge in the last four months in 1994-95 when australia thought that the upcoming summer with england and zimbabwe was so unchallenging we famously fielded <laughs> australia a in the world series cup that year how soon do you think india will start to put an india a side out and <laughs> and try to replicate that well india a maybe even an india b <laughs> the number of guys across formats who just put their hands up like you know you're talking about no bumrah uh no mohammad shami no ravindra jadeja i mean ashwin doesn't get a look into white ball uh, sports anymore uh, and still them finding ways of uh, winning and also it's not just about the new talent i mean the younger talent it's about guys like hardik pandya and rishabh pant who just seem to be improving and shardul thakur improving with every outing they just seem to be maturing they just seem to uh, almost like want to be big match players right like like you know virat kohli has always been the guy who loves the big stage but now you're seeing a lot of guys coming to the ranks who love the big stage who just want to be there want a million people billion people cheering for them so uh, at the moment yeah i mean they're so spoiled for choices uh, i don't know it's not easy being an indian selector currently for all the right reasons I find Rishabh Pant so captivating. Whenever he's batting, I just want to watch Pant go about his business. And uh, I didn't quite expect him to sort of develop into the match winner we've seen over the the summer against Australia and England. We saw on the last tour down under his potential, but just to be able to deliver in clutch situations, has he sort of exceeded your expectations? I think so. I mean, we always knew he was a special talent, but for me, the moment Benner that stood out for from Rishabh Pant throughout this whole period was uh, in a post-match uh, chat with the commentators uh, during the Test series. I remember, I think the last Test against England, where one of the commentators asked him, "Oh, so you know, how much do you enjoy entertaining the crowd?" And he just looked kind of blankly, almost nonchalantly, and said, "Well, I'm just here to you know win matches for my country and stick to what I know best." if the crowd gets entertained like great good good i'm happy <laughs> and that that that's the sign of a natural entertainer right he's not doing whatever he's doing to entertain he's actually doing it uh, to showcase and show off the immense talent he has and uh, the maturity he's shown on so many different occasions in such different scenarios whether it was uh, there were the test matches in australia every innings was different and similarly against england that last fourth test 
him and Washington Sundar, that partnership, like, you know, turned the game around from uh, almost a hopeless situation for India. And uh, now he was left out of the white ball stuff. They said he was unfit. Uh, they said, nah, KL Rahul's a better option. And look at the way he's just come in and he's just like, you know, in the la- even the last two innings, the 70-odds he's made. Uh, uh, he's just like come in when India needed runs, but he's played his game. He just seems to know when to play which shot and he has all sorts of shots. And of course, that reverse sweep of Jimmy Anderson, <laughs> the second new ball will stand out. <laughs> but even there, it was about game awareness, right? He didn't, he didn't do the same to Ben Stokes in that spell because Ben Stokes doesn't land the ball like, you know, uh, on the same spot over and over again, whereas Jimmy Anderson does. So, just a lot of street smartness, game awareness, and I think we are really looking at the uh, at a future India captain. I was just going to actually ask that, because you look back at some of the, uh, over the, the recent years, you had Gavaskar and Kapil Dev of the previous generation, then obviously Tendulkar was so dominant for so long, Dravid and, and others were popular, but then Dhoni really sort of took the torch from there, and now Kohli. Is Pant the next one to be the kind of uh, the number one superstar of Indian cricket when Kohli retires? Yeah, I mean, on the basis of what he's done for all in the last four months, yes. Uh, but but that's the thing, right? Like, you, there are so many of them these days. I mean, there's Bumrah with the ball, there's Hardik Pandya, uh, Rohit and Virat are going nowhere anytime soon. Pujara is still, like, you know, around in Test cricket. There's Ashwin. There's just so many superstars right now in Indian cricket uh, that uh, you just don't know who's going to take the mantle uh, and, like, you know, like, you know, take it to the next level. And But I think it's Rishabh Pant purely on what he's done in the last four uh, months and the and like I said the, they all also tend to be like leaders on the field you see Hardik Pandya on the field he's always with the bowlers Rishabh Pant is the same from behind uh, whether he's encouraging himself or someone or entertaining someone with whatever he's saying but he's, he seems to be a leader on the field and it has a lot to do with the team management they've uh, they've really taken the fear of failure away from these boys and it's showing right they just go there and uh, to use a cliche, express themselves. Like, that's all they're doing. They're playing their game, trusting themselves because the team management is like, just like said, go and do that. Like, you know, you don't have to look over your shoulder. We trust you. And it's showing out there in the middle and definitely for me, Rishabh Pant, uh, I'm sure he has the street smarts to be a captain. Well, we, I don't think we still know who uh, Delhi are going to name as their replacement captain after Shreya Sahir got injured. Uh, some signs point to Rishabh Pant. Who knows? Would be a very smart appointment. I think he's he's matured so much. Now, uh, Barrett, I was really happy um, that. Well, I wouldn't say I was really happy that India qualified for the World Test Championship final, <laughs> but I was pleased because I think having India in that first World Test Championship final will really boost the profile of that match, and hopefully, it'll be well received at home. H- how has the the World Test Championship? concept being received I think um, and you make a very good point there man it's like you think of the world T20 the first ever world T20 what better final than India Pakistan right like you couldn't have ended that going to the last over last ball literally uh, and, and I don't know how much of the world test championship has captured the imagination of the Indian cricket fans for them I think it's still just India going and winning I mean for them India beating Australia and Australia would have meant a lot more than the points that they would have accumulated uh, uh, you know, towards qualifying for that World Test Championship final. But now that it's been done, um, I think all eyes will be on on that game. I know for a fact that the team management and the captain, for them, it's been a big mission. Like you know, they've been talking about this for a long time. I remember 
having a chat with Ravi Shastri last year when India were losing in New Zealand, and he him saying that I don't know somehow we need to get to that World Test Championship final which they have. Uh, so I think uh, you're right. I mean, if I was the ICC, I would want India to have been one of those teams. Uh, I would have preferred an India England one because the final is in England. But uh, New Zealand, they just know how to, uh, you know, uh, spoil everyone's party, or at least if not spoil everyone's party, find a way to get to finals. And uh, who knows? Maybe cause a surprise. Well, they definitely could. If the ball's swinging around and there's a little bit of green in the pitch, then it could be a. A very even contest, you would feel. Yeah, you can't rule out New Zealand. And like I said, the last time they played each other, they destroyed India uh, within three days in Wellington, and I think within literally within two days in uh, Christchurch on pitches that uh, like did have a lot of assistance and offer. Kyle Jamieson made a name for himself during that series. I was fortunate enough to be in New Zealand for that. Um, and yeah, the Indian batsmen really had uh, no answer. So. Yeah, yeah, I mean, you can't rule New Zealand out ever. And especially if uh, the test matches in England and so much about test cricket in England depends on the weather and what the skies look like. Uh, yeah, the Saudi Bowl, Jameson, Neil Wagner, yeah, they're they, they a handful. They're a very good test team. So, no, 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 I don't think India go in as favourites, really. Uh, but at least uh, it means that a lot of people will be watching that game. And uh, on a previous podcast, Paul upset me and probably a lot of listeners when he said that he thinks that we could be seeing Indian cricket dominate for many years to come with their sizable wealth, population and um, all the investment in, in cricket in India. Do you think we're, we're going to see maybe something similar to what we saw from Australia in the 90s and 2000s? Do you think we could see a sort of sustained uh, period of excellence from India? Ideally, we should. I mean, Paul is right. I mean, like we spoke about strength in numbers, it's the talent, the systems that are in place and uh, the exposure that Indian cricketers get from playing the IPL and just a lot of cricket around the world. Um, you know, the coaching group, Rahul Ravid, it should happen. But I, like, you know, having lived 31 years in India and having <laughs> covered Indian cricket for 15 Thank years you. of that time, <laughs> I just know that generally the scripts in India, not just with cricket, everything... Uh, I go tend to be very Bollywoody in style, so there will be ups and downs. I just don't see India dominating cricket for a long time because that's just not how things work in India. And like you know, the way we look at sports in India, uh, I mean, I'm sure there'll be people who disagree with me, but in my experience, we like cricket being a form of drama. It is. I mean, it's a form of uh, uh, it's another form of drama. So we need the ups and downs. Like I predicted that India would lose the first test against England, not for any cricketing reasons, but I just knew that's how Indian cricket works. Like, you know, after a massive high comes... To, and you just need to jump onto one of these fan, uh, like, you know, forums or something. Uh, there is so much cynicism around, like, you know, oh, no, India's going to lose this. Oh, throw Shikhar Dhawan out, throw Rohit Sharma out. I was on a, uh, on a clubhouse call during the first ODI, and, and most of the conversation was about that. And that's how it's going to be. I don't think we... India Indians, if you ask them, deep inside would not want a team which just keeps winning all the time. We'll need that team to lose. <laughs> so, I, I'm I'm sorry, Paul. I might have to be uh, agree with Manners. I don't think it's going to happen. Don't be sorry. I mean, I, I want you to be right. I don't want to be right. But um, <laughs> Menes is very happy hearing that answer. But um, I actually did a little video. If anyone's out there, look up Cricket Unfiltered on YouTube and compared um, 
the the rivalry Australia and India have had over the years and how in the early years Australia kept on winning, uh, but how that's really changed um, in the last few years. But uh, I, I think there's a reminder to me, there's a similarity between Manchester City in, in India, that Manchester City fans in the 90s were, we're in the third division, we never win, we love the drama, we kind of almost enjoy that. And then... I mean, it's not completely the same because they got a massive cash injection, but you can kind of look at that. <laughs> exactly. Similar to the rise of India, the, the, the emergent middle class and finally sort of getting the, the their, their act together. And now Manchester City has win all the time. Um, I I sadly think that's what's going to happen and that in, in years to come, um, India will be like the West Indies of the 80s, but decade after decade after decade of it. I didn't know you were a Man City fan, Paul. I'm not. Um, all right. You said we. <laughs> Did um, I say we? Well, I just I came. I thought you came across. You were a fan. No, no, no. Who do you support? Um, I no one. I, I like I like the Premier League and whatever else. But I just think when you're twenty thousand kilometres away to have a team that you support, it just seems it'd be like an Australian supporting the, the Boston Red Sox. It'd be madcap. What about you, Barrett? Who do you support in the Premier League? I, I've never been a mad supporter of any club, but I, I always liked Tottenham Hotspur purely because uh, the first time I saw them, Jurgen Klinsmann was playing for them, and for some reason I liked Jurgen Klinsmann back in the 90s. And see, I've stuck with Tottenham Hotspur, but I'm not one of those who, like Paul, who really takes it very personally when they win or lose. So, <laughs> yeah, there are a lot of those around the world. But well, if you like drama, you're following the right club in Spurs. They are a, a shocking club to support, as I can <laughs> Indeed. say, because I unfortunately married into a Spurs family. All right. Um, all right. Well, that's good. I don't think India are going to win three World Cups in a row, a la Australia. Yeah, um, nah. <laughs> So that's good to know. All right. Now, now, let's shift our attention to the IPL. Starting very soon, I think tenth of April is the first game, and the Aussie players are about to jet off to um, pretty COVID. Um, it's a pretty mm. scary COVID situation in in India. But just, what are you looking forward to in this IPL? And I guess would they move it? Do you think it's definitely going to stay in India? I think it is going to stay in India. And like you're right, I mean, the COVID cases are going up. Like India is struck by what, I don't know, it's the third wave or the fourth wave, but it's pretty bad. There, there were like 68,000 cases, I think, uh, uh, yesterday, around 40,000 in just the state of Maharashtra alone. Mm, uh, but terrible. I think the IPL will stay in India because in the, when I speak to family back home or just look at what's happening there, People are just going about their business like it's it's normal, like it's 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 the new normal. You just have to live with the virus, which is scary when you look at it. But it gives the BCCI and everyone around the IPL enough reason to just keep it there because I don't think Maharashtra as a state or Mumbai as a city has gone into lockdown yet. There are talks of it, uh, and a lot of teams are in Mumbai currently, like having their pre-tournament warm-up Chennai Super Kings for sure. So it'll stay in India. Um, definitely no crowd to start with uh, but like you saw during that one day series in Pune there were lots of people sitting together on the hills so you can't keep Indians away if there is a game of cricket on somewhere uh, and I think it, 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 it'll be an interesting IPL purely because we have a T20 World Cup coming up uh, and a lot of questions will be answered not just from an Indian context but from an Australian context and an English context because you have so many players uh, who will be there right I mean uh, we'll get to know whether the likes of Riley Meredith and uh, Jai Richardson, whether they will succeed in those conditions. Yeah, Jai Richardson had a decent tour of India one day tour a few years ago. But uh, so it's not just for India, but a lot like, you know, for, whether Glenn Maxwell is the guy, what kind of role 
RCB use them in and like whether that's going to work for uh, for Australia going into that World Cup because think about it I mean Josh Butler has become the most dangerous opener in T20 cricket but it started in the IPL so <laughs> things happen in the IPL and uh, this year will be one of those and for from for India like we've seen it in the last four months I'm sure there are going to be newer names which are going to emerge and uh, that's why I think if I was an Indian selector, I wouldn't be too bothered about picking or even thinking about a squad for that T20 World Cup because I know there will be two or three names who will just pop up from nowhere um, and then just force their, force the selector's hand and get picked. So, a lot to look forward to in the IPL, but I just hope people stay safe. And it's scary when you think about it. My mother's still there. She's got her vaccine. But, um, yeah, I mean, people are just going about the business like it's normal. Well, that's good to hear your mother's got the vaccine because I think that's the... That's the answer. They've got to get the vaccination up, but it's not easy when you've got 1.4 billion people. But I suppose <laughs> yeah, um, it, it would be interesting whether any of the overseas players will have second thoughts uh, about going as this um, as it continues down this path, or also whether or not there'll be some questions as to whether the World Cup needs to be to be postponed mm. or, or relocated. But in in any case, to the tournament itself, and the the, the main question I want to I've Become a massive Dan Christian fan in the last few months, and I was so so happy that he's got picked up by um, RCB. I'm worried he's going to sit on the bench. Can you give me some um, some clarity that he's actually going to get some game time? Do you reckon? I think he's with the right franchise for to get games <laughs> because with RCB they like changing things around. Virat Kohli is a very restless captain. He'll keep changing things around if they lose a couple of games or even if they're winning games. So if you're an RCB player, the chances of you spending uh, the whole season on the bench is very, very minimal because he will get a game. And I think Dan, I don't, I'm a big Dan Christian fan. I remember 2017 when he played for Pune. Um, that's when I was doing the Dhoni books. I spent a lot of time around the sidelines of Pune training and I saw a lot of Dan Christian, just the way he he was and his, his hitting in the nets. And I kind of fell in love with Dan Christian, just this like really cool dude. Um, and I think he has unfinished business. He almost mm. won that uh, trophy for uh, uh, the rising Pune Super Giant in what was their last season in the IPL. So, uh, and, you know, going back to 2010, uh, 2011, I, and covering that IPL auction when he was the biggest pick in terms of money for a foreign player. Uh, so, uh, you know, and here he is 11 years or 10 years later back in the IPL. So he'll definitely get a game. And I think the RCB can do with his calmness on the field. Yeah. Uh, like I said, they, they can get a little jittery and we've, we've seen them struggle as a result. And uh, I know they've paid a lot of money for Kai Jamison, but yeah, I mean, he didn't have a great series against uh, uh, Australia. And uh, so we'll have to wait and watch how many games he gets. But I have a sneaky feeling Dan Christian will end up not just playing, but playing a pretty big role for RCB this year. That's music to my ears, because I feel the same way, but I was just hoping he wasn't going to be sitting on the bench. Him and He and um, Virat Kohli and Glenn Maxwell, there's three of the most exciting players in the world all playing for the same for the same franchise. Um, Chuck in A.B. De Villiers. Yeah, I forgot about, <laughs> for, I was, <laughs> forgot about him. <laughs> Jeez, there's a top four. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Uh, hey, uh, Barrett, if we've got any listeners out there who um, may be a big cricket fans but haven't yet gone into the IPL and are kind of um, thinking about doing so this year, what's a good team for them to support? You don't want to support CSK or Mumbai mm. and sort of be on the bandwagon. Where's a, what's a sort of a, a team that they can get behind and sort of... Um, uh, Gritty Yeah, team. have a bit yeah. of credibility as well. Yeah, I, I can think of two teams. Like, I think Rajasthan Royals have always been the team that pull off surprises, like... Uh, 
they often look like a ragtag outfit. I mean, they have Ben Stokes and Jofra Archer and all those Josh Butler playing for them. But just the way they shape up in terms of domestic talent, we saw Rahul Tewatia come from nowhere and start playing those miraculous innings last year. But they've always been that kind of team. I mean, they are a Shane Warne team after all, mm. right? Like, so you see, uh, I mean, he won the IPL with them and nobody gave them a chance, like, during the first season. He mentions, and that, he mentions that, that from time to time, doesn't he? And he does, like, yeah, it's like this <laughs> less than double hundred, yeah. So, and, uh, and, and that chain, that touch has stayed with them. Like, you know, they've, they've really not done remarkably well since. Uh, but they're a team that you can really get behind because uh, you just don't know what to expect. And like, they're going to be captained by Sanju Samson, poor guy. Like, we spoke of all these players who come through the ranks and done a lot. He's He's gone the other way. He's been left out of the whole system. So, mm. he's faded. Or his stocks have faded, so it'll be a big season for him. They're a good team, but I think if you're Australian, you should also follow Sunrisers Hyderabad. Just see how David Warner leads that team and kind of feel bad about it. Like the fact that he cannot, you won't see him captaining in Australia because um, it's not just just his tactics, because I think he's tactically a very astute captain. Uh, but just how he gets these young Indian talents to rally around him, Mm. uh, it's it's a sight to see, really. I mean, see Natarajan who. Uh, became a cult hero for Indian fans and Australian fans during this uh, recent tour. Um, he owes a lot of it to David Warner yeah. and, like, you know, how he used him last year. So I think Sunrisers are a very good team that way to uh, follow. Uh, they, they might not always be the most exciting, but, like, yeah, they have that grit about them and a lot of it comes from David Warner and Kane Williamson for sure. Fantastic. And what do you think the atmosphere in India is going to be like around the IPL? I know they're doing it strangely. They're playing the IPL in India, but there's no home games. All the teams mm. are playing away. That's obviously to keep it fair. Um, are they bringing in any of the rules from the Big Bash, like the the power surge or any of those, or are we just seeing sort of old-fashioned T20 cricket? <laughs> I think as of now, uh, it's going to be old-fashioned T20 cricket. The only only thing I read somewhere recently was they, they might take away the soft signals from, uh, uh, good. like you know, for catches and all that. Uh, but as of now, like T20 rules of uh, of yore, so no big bash influence yet. Uh, maybe if Trent Woodhill was, uh, you know, in the IPL, <laughs> it would have made a difference. But uh, I don't. See, that's the thing. I don't know how much of the Big Bash gets viewed in India. And this year, of course, because it clashed with such a mega series with India, I don't think a lot of Indians really got time to watch the Big Bash. So uh, maybe we'll wait for a year uh, uh, before those rules come in because they will. Like, you know, uh, eventually news, anything new that comes outside the IPL kind of adopts. Uh, So, yeah, I mean, but for now, it's just going to be classic IPL uh, cricket, like you said, yeah, I mean, different format in terms of the home games. Uh, they're going to play in games in clusters. So, uh, yeah, it, it, it'll just be exciting. I mean, like, you know, it'll just be a continuation of this celebration of Indian cricket that started in November um, and just continues on while the country is still ravaged by this uh, deadly pandemic. Well, that's a way to make some of our listeners feel old. The two of you referring to old-fashioned T20 <laughs> cricket. <laughs> Actually. Hey, Barrett, uh, given that you're going to be in Adelaide uh, during it, what's your strategy in terms of um, watching it? I mean, most games are going to start at about, what, 11.30 p.m. your time, yeah. roughly, depending on daylight savings and everything else. Uh, how are you going to um, watch the games? Uh, I, you know, the last two years that I've been here, I, 
I tend to like watch the double headers, the first one, because that starts at a good time, 8 p.m. Yep. Um, otherwise, they're tricky. Like uh, Paul, I'll be honest. I'll I watch a little bit of highlights here and there because uh, I get called on some uh, some podcasts in India where I'm supposed to speak about the IPL. I just watch enough and then I just pretend to know a lot. <laughs> <laughs> Paul, Paul's tactic for every podcast. <laughs> I'm only joking. There you go. Paul's very well. You just have ver- to sound convincing. Uh-huh. I, I'm with you, Barrett. What I do is I watch the first game in the double header and then I watch hmm. the next day the replay of the, the second game or the late yeah. game and I try to go into some kind of um, you know internet silence so I don't get any spoilers. But <laughs> it is pretty hard because it's just – Plastered everywhere. It is. It is. Yeah, exactly. And uh, there's a, like there's an explosion of what happens. And like uh, you know, last year there were so many close games. So yeah, it's very difficult to stay away from your phone. But yeah, it, it's good breakfast viewing uh, uh, in manners, right? Like next mm. morning, you're just having um, yeah with your it's, coffee it's, or with your breakfast. That's amazing. what I try to do. But yeah, it, it's perfect timing for us, like to watch the replay. Yeah, <laughs> but good. yeah. Well, one one um one more. Uh, you might get a, a buzz, a, a plug in for Crick Buzz. But I've tried in the past watching, uh, reliving a game on Crick Info, watch reading the commentary without knowing the results. And I've got to have my hand over the screen and make sure it doesn't refresh because there's there's so many ways of seeing the result. Is that possible to yeah. do? And is Crick Buzz a better way of doing it? Crick Buzz is a quicker way of doing it for sure <laughs> because <laughs> they are. I mean, th- that has always been their USP. They are like uh, the quickest. And it comes to scores, uh, but yeah, I, I, I think yeah, give it a shot. Like of course, like yeah. And if uh, anyone involved with Big Buzz is listening, there you go. That's the plug. Like yeah, I am renegotiating my contract. So it comes at a, <laughs> the question comes at the right time. <laughs> I appreciate it. That's incredible. I did not know Paul not only relived cricket matches just through the ball by ball text, and and then he was blocking the scores on the rest of the screen. That's an incredible level of dedication. I've sometimes actually got my wife. I said, can you log into this, go down, scroll down, and then and then go oh, for that. But it always refreshes, and it's like, ah! Oh. Spoiled. Um, yeah. Well, um, last one then, Barrett, and coming back local, back to where you live mm-hmm. in Adelaide. Uh, mm-hmm. um, it's a beautiful place, but a great place to live. But they've also got the worst cricket team in the country at the moment. Barely won a game. Barely won a game for years. Um, the strikers yeah. do okay, but South Australia in the Marsh Cup and the Shield are just awful. And do you see it turning around? Now that you're local, you commentate on the Shield games, is is Dizzy Gillespie making a difference? I think he's trying his level best to make a difference, man. I, 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 and like you know, I'll give you an example of the the cynicism, the pessimism that exists within uh, South Australian cricket circles. People who have watched it, people who have covered it. Like uh, after that game against New South Wales, where they set them a target, and I was doing commentating the last few game two weeks ago, um, and New South Wales eventually chased it down pretty comfortably with uh, Sean Abbott. I thought played a great innings, and Moses Andriquez as well. Um, you know, and I was like, ah, I remember tweeting about it or chatting with a couple of guys saying, ah, that's disappointing. Like, you know, at least they'll learn. And they, one of them asked me, how long have you been here? <laughs> uh, I was like, ah, oh, two and a half years. Yeah, just get used to it. Like, yeah, we've been <laughs> living through this for the last two decades. So, yeah, it's just sad. I mean, there is talent that's coming through. But I think um, not enough guys are, like, you know, knocking the door down. I remember saying this on air during the first leg of The Shield. If, if like, guys who are, without taking names, Averaging 23 and 24 are getting getting comebacks into yeah. the side just because they've scored a, a great century or Premier Cricket century. 
it just tells you that there is uh, there is a certain lack of uh, depth i don't know why because i umpire as well as you guys know and i see a lot of talent around in adelaide but it just seems to be um and a hole that they just can't come out of i felt bad for jason gillespie many times during the season because he just looks helpless <laughs> like you know after the game he's like yeah i mean we'll take the positives from this yeah i mean like well, how many times as a coach can you mm. uh, can you say that so yeah i mean you know it's um, and it's not just and it's not just the issue of own they don't they don't have enough batsmen or they don't have enough bowlers it, it's multifold they, they just uh, don't seem to have uh, enough guys doing enough on the on, on, when it matters so yeah i mean uh, you know i i remember commentating with chat sales when they played the marsh cup again against new south wales at the adelaide oval um just looking at him at times when the bowlers are going without just when he wasn't on air just his reactions tells you how frustrated uh, they are with like you know where where their team is right now and yeah i mean you like to believe there's always light at the end of the tunnel but like the locals have said that tunnel's been <laughs> very very long they've been looking for that light for a long time well i'll just take that as a no you don't see it turning around <laughs> <laughs> in the near future. I hope it does, though. I know um, Dizzy's doing great work there. And if anyone can kickstart that state cricket, it's Jason Gillespie. Well, Barrett, th- thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Um, really great to have you on. Um, just l- last question, you know, are you a Crows or a, a Port fan? Very, very good question, uh, Benners. Like, uh, I've, I've, I've left it open. Like, you know, I, I was fortunate enough like to do commentary with uh, 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 one of the Port Adelaide players who, who apparently is a massive fan of cricket, uh, uh, Jared Laniat. So uh, I gave him, like, we had half an hour together. I said, like, uh, you have <laughs> half an hour to convince me why I should become a Port Adelaide fan. Like, I'm in the market. Uh, and I think he did a decent job, and I think the team's also doing a decent job. So right now I'm tending in that direction, but I think it's safe if I just pick a club in Melbourne so that I don't get into trouble in Adelaide <laughs> with anyone because these guys are very, very passionate about their teams. I've noticed that. <laughs> now, mate, you got to go the Bloods, Sydney Swans. Um, well, thanks for joining us, Barrett. Um, best of luck um, with the rest of the season, and hopefully we'll catch up again. Thanks, mate. Thank you, guys. Thank you so much. Yeah, uh, always fun. Great stuff there from Barrett Sunderason. We'll take a quick break, then we'll be back with Can't Let It Go and an excerpt from Paul's history special. And we're back. It's the final segment of this week's Cricket Unfiltered podcast. It's Can't Let It Go time. That little bit of cricket news you just can't let go through to the keeper. And then after this, we're going to play an excerpt from Paul's history special. But Paul, start us off. What's your Can't Let It Go this week? Well, just on the same theme that we touched on with Barrett, uh, the fact that Sachin Tendulkar has COVID. And um, I think that's a, a really concerning sign for uh, for cricket lovers and a, a concerning sign for India that you'd sort of think that um, if anyone was not going to get it, it would be him. But it's a sign of the of the trouble that the country is in with the with the with the virus. So, as I hinted at with with Barrett, it'd be interesting. It'll be interesting to see whether or not they um, do need to relocate that World Cup. Hopefully not. But um, yeah, you, you think COVID's gone and it, it um, just keeps on keeping on. Well, 
People have asked for more Mad Manners, and boy, was I triggered on Saturday while watching the WNCL final. I cannot believe this. Even saying it now, I can't believe it. <laughs> Apparently, the Victorian Cricket Association asked for the WNCL final to be delayed until their international players got back from New Zealand. What on earth are they thinking? A, well, their team lost on Saturday, and it's not good when your board says, oh, this team can't win, can we? delay it so good on them for doing that but I mean it's the most selfish act I've ever heard how often do New South Wales lose a ton of players to international duty you don't see them go oh can you delay the shield final till after the IPL can you delay the WNCL to the Kiwis the players are back from the Kiwi tour honestly Victoria should be chucked out of the shield chucked out of all competitions if they're going to act like this chucked out of the shield (laughs) oh well they they torpedoed the shield oh we can't play we've been in quarantine well honestly they've stuffed their own season because they're not going to win diddly squat and honestly that was just like a smack in the face that they've, they've tried so hard to get this season up and running they get to the final whether they thought it would happen or not even to ask i would just chuck them out of next year's wncl chuck them out of the shield and they can have a good think about themselves well <laughs> well i'm upset who asked to delay a final because their international players aren't available is there some rationale behind it Oh, oh, because they want to win. Obviously, they'd like to have Perry and Lanning and all their stars back. But is there? There must be some reason. Yeah, they wanted to win. No, no. Apart from that, well, they will say, "Oh, it's better for the game if all the best players are available." Uh, But I mean, when is when have they like delayed domestic matches to get the best players back? Prior to the summer, was it expected this clash would occur, or is that no? Absolutely, yeah. Okay, well then, I kind of. I must say, I you're not as mad as maybe you can I, see where I'm coming. I from. tend to agree. I don't. I don't think that Victoria should be um, <laughs> should be cut loose from all the competitions. But yeah, I, I agree with you in a, in a mild, a much more yeah, calm. They've sort of had way. a bad season. <laughs> the administration down south. So um, yep, selfish Victorians. All right, now Paul, introduce your history special. When you hear about cricket on television in Australia, most of the stories start in 1977 with the Kerry Packer revolution, which is great because it is a great story. But the 20-odd years before that are an amazing period of uh, technological uh, frustration, enhancement, good and bad, and I think it's a really fascinating story. So you're going to hear a little clip now from near the start of that show. And if you enjoy it, then please look at the show notes here. Go to our Patreon page and subscribe, and you'll get to hear that episode in full and all the future ones that Menes and I are going to do. The wait for televised test cricket was over. Well, almost. The first test was at the Gabba, and Brisbane was yet to get television. At that point, only Sydney and Melbourne had it. Nevertheless, in a sign of the public appetite for cricket, technically the game was televised to the one location capable of receiving the signal, the ABC studio in Brisbane. Why did they bother? Well, to convert it to film, cut it into about 15 minutes of highlights and rush it to the airport to be flown south for televising later that night or the next night in Sydney and Melbourne. So Test Cricket had now been shown on TV, albeit not live. That came next. The second test was in Melbourne, beginning on New Year's Eve 1958. Play began and nothing. Cricket Australia, worried at the effect television might have on ticket sales, refused to allow any of the first two sessions to be broadcast. This misguided policy of a two-thirds blackout into the city of origin was to last into the 21st century. But finally, with play set to begin after tea, more than 20 years after England, Australian television showed live test cricket. 
The television guide from that final day of 1958 is a thing of beauty. There were only three television stations, 9, 7 and ABC, and all three showed the cricket live simultaneously, as if to make up for lost time. If you were watching television that afternoon in Melbourne, by definition, you were watching the cricket. Sadly, the cricket itself was of the worst possible type. These days, they'd call it a brand destroyer. Writing in The Age, Percy Beam said the batsmen were slow hand-clapped and barracked for their slowness from the T interval onwards. Thankfully, the match got a bit better thereafter, and over the ensuing days, Melbourne viewers saw some of a Neil Harvey century and an England second innings collapse as Australia won by eight wickets. But it was only Melbourne viewers, as the signal wasn't strong enough to reach Sydney. The third test was in Sydney, and the final sessions were televised live into Sydney, also on all three stations at once. And you would assume that would have been all, but the television networks sprang a surprise. During the winter, a secret joint project dubbed Operation Kangaroo had been undertaken by Channel 7 Sydney in partnership with Channel 9 Melbourne. Imagine that happening these days. Their ambitious goal was to beam a live signal from Sydney to Melbourne to enable this third SCG test to be shown live into Melbourne. Satellites were almost a decade away. The plan was to use a series of microwave transmitters. These would be strategically situated just before the signal was about to be lost, so a transmitter would catch the signal and then beam it on afresh. The higher the elevation of the transmitters, the better, and so engineers and technicians secretly worked to install equipment in remote, freezing and dangerous locations. This almost proved fatal, as an installation crew got caught in a winter blizzard in the snowy mountains and only just survived. It was a borderline crazy plan, and possibly a world record at the time for the longest network of its kind. By the third test, the cumbersome and fragile network was in place. It went Sydney to near Goulburn, to Mount Janini, to Cabramurra high up in the snowy, to the Horn on Mount Buffalo in Victoria, to the highlands north of Ye, and finally to Mount Dandenong on Melbourne's outskirts. The Melbourne newspapers had revealed the glorious secret project, with the front page of the Age headline being, GTV9 plans live telecast of third test. The article began, A technical achievement unparalleled in Australian history will be attempted today when it is hoped to make a direct live telecast of the third test match from Sydney to Melbourne. Melbourne cricket fans eagerly tuned in to Channel 9 after tea to see the magic unfold. But the connection didn't work. A truck supporting one of the transmitters in the snowy had got bogged and the transmitter chain had been broken. Undeterred, they tried again that night. On his famous Channel 9 in Melbourne Tonight show, Graham Kennedy said, Come in, Sydney. And instantly, Melbourne viewers were watching Channel 7's In Sydney Tonight show live. And so next day, they tried again in the cricket, and it worked. Melburnians, sweltering on a 40-degree day, were greeted with the sight of the covers on in Sydney. Nothing much has changed, some of you might say. But soon, the rain stopped, and play began. The first ever intercity live broadcast of cricket in Australia. Great stuff, Paul. Really enjoyed that. Excellent work with Dennett's Deep Dive. Thanks, everyone, for listening to this week's Cricket Unfiltered. We'll be back next week. See ya. On Florida's Space Coast, we think you can have the best of both worlds. Kind of like right now. Driving. At your desk. Maybe at the gym. But you're also grooving to some music. Visit us and you'll go to the beach and see a rocket launch or go kayaking and manatee spotting. It's all waiting for you on the only beach that doubles as a launch pad. Plan your adventure today at visitspacecoast.com. Sports Social Podcast Network.
Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.